Welcome to this week's episode of A Question of Code. This week we're joined by Kirsty Simmons uh, to talk a bit about bootcamps. Kirsty is a developer at Super Being Labs in London, uh, which is an agency that builds products primarily for the charity sector. Welcome, Kirsty. Hello, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, it's great to have you on. Yeah, I was. Um, we uh, first came across your your blog post where you said you had uh, five jobs in twelve months. That's quite an impressive claim. Uh, <laughs> it sounded yeah. like quite an adventure you'd been on, roller coaster. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wouldn't recommend it. When I wrote that, I was sort of worried that people would be like, "Oh, I can just do five jobs in a year. That's a great strategy." But <laughs> no, it's it, it wasn't a chosen. Um, yeah, just like in a nutshell, uh, first job out of boot camp. Uh, and then a second job after that very quickly. And then I was made redundant from that. And then I got two jobs that I couldn't start because of COVID. And then a, a job that I'm currently at. So I had like a bit of a crash landing in tech. It wasn't like a JavaScript fundamentals, HTML, CSS, sort of smooth incline. It was just like a face plant from bootcamp. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't to know that a giant economic crash was coming when I started learning how to make websites. Um, so yeah, it's been interesting. Yeah, I don't think anyone uh, necessarily planned for this situation, no. um, but I guess it's it's good that you've come out the end of it with a job. So that, that's really that's really encouraging. Yeah, super 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 lucky. So you said there that you uh, you attended a did you uh, attended a boot camp? Is that right? I did. So I think it was January twenty nineteen that I started my boot camp in Berlin, um, and it lasted for about I think it was nine weeks, and ten, the tenth week in it was sort of like a hiring week. Um, but I think when we were, it was our batch, we were the final batch to have a hiring day and it was sort of like a stressful speed dating event thing. Um, but yeah, I started oh, right. it after <laughs> deciding on sort of a whim that I was really tired of working in architecture, which is what I was doing before. Um, I was doing tendering and contracts for projects, like business development, basically. And mm-hmm. I'd seen projects being dropped left, right and centre because of Brexit and people doing fewer projects in um, Europe and generally because they were sort of bracing for a big knock in terms of finance and I sort of saw my future sort of shrink a little bit along with it and I I didn't really know what to do about it and everyone was like oh learn to code you'll be a millionaire it takes six weeks it'll be great and it was like oh that sounds good (laughs) Uh, so after some googling and doing some pre-work I went along to Berlin and started and um, yeah yeah um, it was a boot camp based on Ruby on Ruby on Rails, um, which I thought was interesting because when I was Googling it, everyone was talking about JavaScript and React, which is neither one of those things. Um, so, yeah, I had to... On the first day, I sort of learnt, after doing some pre-work, I learnt what an object was, and that sort of blew my head off. Uh, <laughs> and just basic <laughs> data structures and things like that that I'd never heard about before. And um, I realised, really, the sort of length of the path ahead of me and it was just nothing short of heart-stoppingly intimidating for me um yeah oh. did that con- did that continue as the course progressed then did that that sense of like how much stuff there is in front of you to get through did that did the course help address that you know in any way so it was a well it was a, it was well put together the course was well put together but i think that one of the pitfalls of boot camps I mean, other than the fact that they're called boot camps, it just inspires fear, doesn't it? It sort of inspires enormous amounts of fear in me, <laughs> like as someone that is quite averse to enormous, unnecessary exertions of effort and pain. Um, I quite like the idea of a course 
because that just sounds nice and that you're learning things. But boot camp just sounds like, oh, macho, we're going to do lots of learning. You know, and it's going to be painful. It's sort of written into the contract that it's going to be painful. And it is. Um, so I had never really done any coding before I turned up. So the course was well put together. But the learning and the speed of the learning and the fact that what you learn on day one, you're supposed to be able to implement in the afternoon and therefore use on day two and expand on on day three. There comes a point if you haven't got it, and that was the term that they use rather frustratingly, getting it and like um, when it clicks. I didn't want to hear that phrase ever again when I left. When it clicks, it never clicked for me on the boot camp. And that's not to say that I couldn't do it, but there wasn't like a eureka moment where I was like, I know all of this. I know Git, I know front end, I know back end, I know APIs. Um, it was just really intimidating. And I was sort of sold as a student that there would be this eureka moment and to, in quote marks, trust the process. And um, I kept waiting for that and it just didn't come. And I think that a lot of the way they're marketed to sort of like hinge on that moment of utter clarity where you get it um and for me it was just a process of quite you know I cried most days and a lot of people on the course did as well and people that did different courses they're not like they're not always happy you know places where you know you're pulled through with the strength of your cohort and there's huge camaraderie it's also just quite frightening because a lot of people are spending the last savings that they had on a career change that's what I was doing it's really interesting to hear that so many people are kind of ga- almost taking quite a gamble to go on a boot camp. It, it, it is a, it's not some, I can't, part of me always thinks that they're something that you go into in a leisurely pace and you, you kind of do it because you, because of intellectual curiosity and oh, why not try this for a little bit? But actually, to be in the situation to dedicate that amount of time and effort and in a lot of cases money to something, you have to be pretty serious and sort of bet, making quite a big bet on the success of it. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And like at the time, obviously, so I, with my boot camp, it was either 6,000 or 6,500 euros. I had to borrow some money in order to do it because I didn't have that amount in savings. Um, so from the beginning of the process, it wasn't sort of like a leisurely sort of walk through the, you know, amazing halls of computer science. Um, it was more like this is my final like chance. I don't have any savings after this. And if I don't make a success of this course, then this is going to be like a sort of busted route for me. I need to come up with something else. So I think like, as with everything else on earth, it sort of comes down to how much money you have (laughs) and (laughs) your ability to enjoy it. And like, you know, the ability to feel safety um, to drop out of the um, employment market for 10 weeks. Just having the ability to like do that in the first place, like it's incredibly rare. And if it wasn't for the fact that I could have lived with my at the time partner and borrowed some cash, I would never have been able to do it. because they're not cheap. None of them are. <laughs> no, no. I remember um, when I was looking at changing career, I, I almost did a boot camp, and that I think that one was ten thousand pounds for three months. That's three months. Like, well, like you say, yours about similar sort of length. Um, three months, and then you're also not working and earning money, um, and you're also spending all this money to do this. And then, like you say, you, you kind of sold this dream that uh, at least at the end of it, you'll walk out with walk out with a job. Um, it, yeah, that's it's it's. Good. I suppose it's good to hear because Tom and I have been going on about how boot camps aren't always what they're cracked up to be. Um, it's it's is it really interesting to hear a first hand account of that? Yeah, I mean, like I, I, in an ideal world, I would have started coding when I was eight and made my first website at nine <laughs> and done the Neopets thing that everyone else seems to have done. But I was far too busy, sort of like thinking that I'd be a journalist one day, and that's how I'd earn my money by writing words, um, which is impossible 
<laughs> really like earning a good living and yeah. <laughs> well you're talking talking to two people that tried to make careers in music so that's a... <laughs> yeah <laughs> the whole the forgotten dream we understand very well <laughs> yeah i got to the end of my music degree and went what do i do and then i became a teacher and, <laughs> and then i changed career to, to yeah. tech so yeah um I can't yeah, imagine, Ed, that as your experience as a teacher, that you would advise piling a load of stress on people trying to learn something important. Is that, that presumably not a recommended tactic? That, that <laughs> wasn't in the teacher training. No. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I suppose that the problem is they're kind of so much is trying to get pushed onto the onto people doing a boot camp, onto people like you, Kirsty, uh, in such a short amount of time. And that there is so much to learn in such a short amount of time. There's There's kind of if you take it slow and the way you probably should take it then the, the course would be much much longer I suppose yeah exactly so I, I mean it did serve its function it was supposed to be a thing that I did to get me a job in tech and it did that uh, so on paper yeah. it's a success but it was just I felt at the time like a bit of a freak because I just didn't enjoy it. <laughs> and, and I, <laughs> I was sort of going to the TAs on the course who were very helpful and they took their time to speak to me and gave me advice but there were 30 people in my batch um, and a lot of it is to do with fear because some of them had coded before and some of them were sort of flying through things. Some of them I was enormously intimidated by on day one and found out weeks later that they've been doing it for like four or five years. Um, so people started different on different blocks as well. So I had a bit of neuroses about not getting it and um, mm. having to deal with that feeling of like, I guess what, it's what I would later come to understand is imposter syndrome um, yeah. and just generalised stress. And having that while trying to learn for hours and hours and hours every day for a chance at stability, economic stability, that's one of the main motivators why I went into tech. And I'm not really ashamed to say that, um, although there is a bit of stigma around it. But I would like one day to not have to panic about money all the time. And um, that was something that was following me around as a journalist quite a lot. Um, yeah. Living in London is not cheap. My family aren't millionaires. So like this seems to be, I think tech is sold to people as this um, sort of space where if you work hard enough, you can achieve real economic stability. And it's really, really hard to not look twice at that with the world the way it is and money meaning this, you know, there's the sense of safety attached to money. It is, it is a thing for some people and it isn't a thing for others. It definitely is a thing for me. Um, and so that's why I did it. I just sort of took a massive gamble, really. Yeah, it was enormously stressful, but it did the job. I got a job in tech and it was really quite painful because everyone knows that interviewing mm -hmm. for tech jobs isn't a walk in the park. <laughs> yeah, I think we want to come to that as, as well, because it sounds like you had a, a pretty mammoth go of it with 120 initial screenings. Sounds crazy. But before before we get to that, what were the... I don't want to say promises that you were sold at the start of the boot camp, but what were the boot camp organisers sort of, what was their sales pitch to, in terms of employability at the end of the course? Were, were they guaranteeing positions or were they guaranteeing a certain number, a certain amount of exposure? What was their, what was their angle? It didn't feel that defined. So I know that some of the bigger American um, boot camps have documentation where they sort of reveal uh, how likely it is you'll get a job to, in, figure, in figures, basically. And this, this percentage of our previous cohort got jobs in this amount of time after graduating, for example. I never saw anything like that attached to ours. I think the line was, um, this is us putting you in a particle accelerator and you will learn so much and you will do so much. And at the end, according to your own effort, you will get a job. 
Um, there was no guarantee, certainly. Yeah. Um, and also there was a, a sort of mundane issue with it in that we were using Ruby on Rails and um, Ruby and a little bit of JavaScript, CSS, HTML. Everyone's hiring for React in Berlin. Everyone and their mother. Right. And um, it was quite difficult because as programmers, we know that skills are transferable. If you can learn one framework or one language, you can get your head around another one without too much kicking and screaming after some time. But when they want a person in a seat in an office, they want to see that you've built using that stack a lot of the time. And um, I wasn't in that position, so that was hard. Yeah, it's the same logic when uh, in agencies are approaching clients. Clients want want to hire someone who have someone who has evidence of the work that they want them to do. They want to say if you're doing uh, a holiday letting website, they want uh, people want to hire people who've built holiday lettings websites before it doesn't matter that the technology transfers and it's the same it's it's a search function and it's uh it's e-commerce like the fact that those crossover don't matter if you're up against someone with uh the exact experience that a position is working for and that's the same in the job market i think definitely definitely i did find it quite a pain point um there are a few times where people will actually kind of laugh and went, oh rails really now um, in, in my head, I was just like, what do you mean? Why are you laughing? I just spent six and a half grand <laughs> like, learning how to do this. <sighs> but yeah. So did the people running the course have some kind of reasoning about why or why they'd done Ruby and Rails? I mean, one of the things Tom and I, we, we did an episode about talking about boot camps uh, in the past. Um, for listeners, you, that's episode 45. Should you take a boot camp? Um, what did we talk about, Tom? <laughs> uh, we, were talking about uh, frame, we were talking about frameworks. So it's, the... Yeah, the real the real question is: Did the people running the boot camp put their framework in context, and did they explain the justifications for for choosing Rails? Oh, I mean, and I'm going to want to say now as well. I work I work in a Rails shop. I work for a company that where our app is built on Rails, and it's great, and it's solid and fantastic. And I think if you if you're good at Rails, you're eminently employable, and it's a smart choice. But it's not the trendy one at the moment. Yeah, so their rationale for doing Ruby and Ruby on Rails is that Ruby is tremendously easy to look at um, and learn. Whereas with JavaScript, when I first opened a JavaScript file and saw all those brackets, I felt sick. Um, and I'm fine with it now. <laughs> I still feel sick when I see that. <laughs> <laughs> well, just I'm fine with it. I mean, I'm much, I'm much more comfortable with it. But I just remember seeing all those curly braces and thinking what is what because ruby's so clean um so the fact that the documentation was great as well um it's got a huge community behind it and it's easy relatively easy for a beginner to look at it and sort of understand what's going on um with simple simple functions and sort of all the introductory stuff like it doesn't take an enormous amount of time whereas if you sort of threw someone's in, someone into systems programming i think they'd start sweating quite hard <laughs> um so that was the rationale for it. And also, therefore, Ruby on Rails. Um, oh, my gosh. Another phrase that I really would just put in a bin if I could. Rails magic. Um, what is that? What does that mean? Um, but that's why they chose it, because it's just it's opinionated. So therefore, once you've learned how to handle um, setting up models, controllers and views and things like that, it's all quite formulaic for a beginner, I think, to learn. So once you've set up yeah. one view model controller, you can sort of repeat that. It's fairly, 
don't, I don't want to use the word easy because it's not easy, but it's just like once you've done it a few times and you're in a room with people doing it a few times and there are Rails experts around and you already know a bit of Ruby from the, earlier in the boot camp, it just sort of meshes together nicely. And um, yeah, it's good. You can, I, I, I found it well, after a point, I did improve and uh, <laughs> obviously I got a job in the industry, so you'd hope so. But um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah it, was, it was a nice softer landing um, in terms of stack than I've heard from different people in my life. Yeah, it, it sounds like it would be like a really good thing for a bootcamp to like a language to do. Like you say, it's like, like the reason I started with Python or people suggest you start with Python when you're doing like that sort of programming is uh, because the, it's kind of syntactically quite clear. And it sounds like the same. Mm. I, you've kind of sold me on Ruby now. I might have to go and have a look at it. <laughs> I've never looked at it before. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I think I think maybe I suppose in that situation, that would have been fantastic if all the job or the majority of jobs at the time were looking for Ruby on Rails developers. I guess that the hang up there is that it's kind of JavaScript seems to be the language that all is kind of all encompassing and taking over everything. Yeah, definitely. So I ran into the dual issue of it's really hard to get junior jobs and it's really hard to get junior jobs with Rails on your CV. Because everybody wants, mm. if they do want a junior, they want them to be able to knock out a React app, which I couldn't have done at the time. Um, yeah. But that has so little to do with actual skill of the the skill of the candidate and just so much to do with norms within hiring in tech. And it is broken, as has been well documented elsewhere and on this podcast. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seems like the like everyone, all programmers eventually sort of trot out the line that oh you once you learn learn programming you can transfer from from one idiom to the other and it's i think it's true i think you can like if you're good at programming you're good at programming it doesn't matter what language you're in but mm. you, there is always a transition when you pick up a new paradigm and it's often mm. quite painful i mean i'm going to speak as someone who's who's struggled to struggled with various aspects of, of rails i'm uh, coming from a, a javascript react background <laughs> i've kind of gone the opposite direction and there's a there's a learning curve even then um and it's often overlooked. And like you say, get that first like proper job on your CV is the hardest one to get. And everything start, slight, gets slightly easier after that. Um, you, you mentioned that the end of the boot camp was, ha, had a kind of a hiring part, sort of section to it. Are you able to sort of go into that in a bit more detail? Yeah. So now that I remember, we had one hiring day and in later batches, it was expanded to a hiring week. On the one hiring day, we, or I think maybe it was two days. I can't remember. Gosh. But there was one day where we did our CVs. So we we cleaned up our GitHub, um, sort of put our picture on it and um, tried to add readmes and stuff to the projects that we'd made and things like that. Um, wrote our CV and sent it to the person leading the boot camp for critique and things like that. And then there was another day where we had a speed dating event and they had sort of people from the Berlin tech scene come in and we'd sit down for five minutes and, you know, nothing short of beg and plead, but with a smile and, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know look, look oh, how terrible I am, please give me a job. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You thought, oh gosh, it, was, it wasn't a relaxing process. I, di I didn't really get um, a job out of it, but I got a flatmate out of it and that was helpful. Oh. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I, I got my job from LinkedIn, my first tech job. First two tech jobs, actually, I got from LinkedIn. So it was just me responding to people on there. So I think I think the boot camp now, to their credit, take hiring the hiring section really seriously and they do a bit more hand-holding. But at the time, it was a bit like, well, here you go. You've had a few chats with people um, and now you're out on your own. Um, 
which was cold water, I think, just because it was a new industry and a new language in some ways. Um, mm. So having to use like the German hiring sites and things and understanding the cultural norms of hiring in Germany and things like that. So yeah, it was quite a challenge. But um, <laughs> both the jobs that I've gotten in tech, no, I've only ever done one exam for a job, even though I've gotten five jobs. Um, and that's strange because I've done a lot of exams for jobs that I didn't actually end up coming near to getting. But a lot of people mm. are uh, chose to sort of hire on sort of a team fit, which I know is um, rife with Im implicit and explicit bias for as far as strategies go. But not everyone has to do an enormously complex tech exam. Sometimes they just want to see your GitHub and go, yeah, you seem not objectionable. We need someone because things move fast <laughs> in startups. So that worked in my favor a couple of times <laughs> yeah there's a level where people will hire based on like they accept the fact that you can't necessarily assess the kind of programming skill that is you that translates to good job performance you can't assess that in a really short period of time but you can mm. like trust people's experience and like, get more out of uh perhaps a, a quote-unquote more informal chat and and a, uh, than a than a very sort of technical challenge, but it sounds, it sounds like you did quite a few. You had to had to go through quite a few technical challenges to, in your journey. Yeah, so I didn't get. I, I, I won one job at like a leading British newspaper. I got it, but then I didn't get it because of COVID. Thanks, COVID. Um, oh. um, but um, yeah, so that was a bit of a painful one because I was working towards that for weeks and weeks, and that was. Um, it was hard to, to deal with, but I've been seeing on Twitter that this is happening left, right and centre right now. So I feel grateful to have the job that I have now. But um, yeah, I, I did a, I knocked up an Express app in Node, which I hadn't used before at the time for that one. And it was just really great. It was an example of a really, really, really lovely hiring process um, because they just gave me a list of things that they would want this app to be able to do, some extras for extra credit and just said, now go and have a little play and return it to us in your own time. We're mindful that you're probably in other interview pipelines. Um, so don't feel pressure. So obviously I did it twice as fast because I like them and I wanted them to like me. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, that was, a, that was a good thing. I think some, the exams sometimes are just horrendous. Sometimes they rely on you knowing two or three different frameworks. Um, I was given a thing to doing GraphQL, Apollo and something else. And I don't remember what the something else was, but I'd never touched GraphQL or Apollo at the time. And they didn't really seem to care that much. So I was like, it was, it was a lot of pressure. Um, the technical, the technicals, you sort of have to come to terms with the fact that you are probably going to crash and burn a couple of times, maybe a lot, but you only need one of them to say yes. Um, but yeah, I had a few embarrassing ones. I had a pair programming session with someone at an e-commerce um, company and... Uh, I just cried afterwards. It was horrible. I forgot how to just write a basic for loop. I forgot the syntax. Um, my my brain blanked. So I learned in the technical hiring process that I, I don't do well with like pair programming, like in person. Somebody staring at me coding is quite is quite stressful. <laughs> oh, there's nothing quite like having someone watching you type to make you forget how to type. I find I, I, yeah. I, I, I completely empathise. I think I blank in that situation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was it was honestly horrendous. Oh, I just I, I I left the room after that, and my housemate sort of saw me on the way to the kitchen, and she was like, "How was it?" And I just sort of put my hand up and my head down and went, "No, <laughs> do not look upon me." 
<laughs> oh gosh, but yeah, uh, it, um, it, it wasn't relaxing that process. Yeah, it's interesting that you. I guess you've you've been done quite a few like of these technical tests, etc. It's interesting to hear how wide a variety there are there are of like the the way that companies hire. You'd think there'd be a bit more uh, consistency between like or consistency between the way that people try and look for how people are good at coding doesn't feel like a solved problem yet does it no 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 no. but it's kind of good that it's varied because some of the styles won't suit you at all it's sort of like dating you go to lunch people and you'll be like oh we have nothing to say to each other we have no scope for any relationship whatsoever but then sometimes it just clicks um and i clicked with the take home do as you like um within this these parameters sort of test um the fact that I am scared nearly to tears by someone staring at me with no emotion on their face watching me code doesn't mean that I'm a bad programmer. And that was um, a lesson hard learned because after that after that particular experience of having the pair programming session that really upset me, I just thought, oh, why am I even doing this? You know, this, this is just like, it's making me really sad and I don't know if I can do this and I've just forgotten how to do this really simple thing. But performance anxiety is real. Um, and this industry is sort of subject to a lot of baked in hostility in some ways and when it comes to hiring <laughs> specifically like it's sort of it's hard it's just really hard so if you screw up at a few of them or a lot of them doesn't mean you're not going to get one eventually you just need to learn how to pick yourself back up i think after the more awful ones <laughs> <laughs> that, that's some good advice uh, yeah it sounds it sounds like you've, you've had quite a lot of a lot of sort of interview experiences that were that you didn't take well to and some that you did was there were there mm. unifying factors in the ones that felt right was it was it that they they had that same format of take 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 something home do it in your own time and return it or were there other other factors that played in um the people that i ended up getting along with the most or the employers that i wanted to work for the most they all took my previous careers very seriously so they commented that um, a few times that, oh, so you've got experience in managing things, you've got experience in writing, in communicating, in organising and doing all this stuff. And I think the companies I didn't gel with sort of, they took the day that I learned to code as sort of my birth <laughs> and discounted, <laughs> discounted like a good decade, nearly a decade of experience doing things that are definitely useful um, to a career as a programmer. Um, but because that had nothing to do with JavaScript, um, it wasn't really paid attention to. And I think a lot of companies are missing out on people with enormous experience, ex impressive, imp applicable experience, um, just by looking at the pure technical skills. And I think it's a bit of a mistake. Now, that's one of the drums we want to, to bang as loud as we can on this on this show. Is uh, both of us are? I mean, Ed had a proper career before transitioning to code. I would, I'd, I'd just, <laughs> I'd stumble around for a while. But with a lot of the stories that we're hearing and that we're trying to tell are of people who have changed and have a life outside of code and weren't kind of wunderkind programmers from the age of two um i don't i did i didn't write a single line of code i don't think until i was like late 20s 27 maybe um and yeah that, that's not a bad thing i don't think i think having experience beyond the world of tech is something that, com that smart companies are looking out for and value exactly i think so much of being a person who works for an employer is communicating with other people and completing things um, and making sure that other people understand you and that you understand them. And you're not going to learn that on Code Academy. Um, yeah. And it's just a bit of a shame for the companies, really. I mean, it's a shame for people that can't get jobs, of course. Um, but it's just, you know, you're missing out on so much, so much. Like, 
uh, and it, I don't understand it, but it's a thing that happens yeah. in the industry. But the people that I, uh, the companies that I was most excited about working for were all really, really happy about it and sort of quizzed me on it in interviews. So it wasn't glossed over. Um, and that was a great sign. And it was never, it was never bad. It never went badly after that. Yeah, that, that's a really good sign because um, we, I'm sorry, it was linking to so many episodes. I can't remember which number it was, but we did an episode talking about interviews, didn't we, Tom? And we were saying, we were talking about signs of companies that you'd want to work for and how it's quite hard to tell. And this this sounds like a really good way of, if you're a career changer and the, the company you're applying to is interested in what you did before you were a coder, then that that's a, that's a good sign for a company that, that seems to have its uh, motives in the right place. Is there anything else you can think of that you would say to someone in a similar position who's who's starting, who's looking at staring down the barrel of a hundred or hundred or more like screening interviews and processes? Are there, are there any other sort of flags, good or bad, that you would uh, tell people to be on the lookout for? I mean, so I have to say one thing first: if if you have to if you have to make yourself immune to the sight of a flag for the case of a few quid, and you need your rent paid then do that. There's no shame in that. You know, sometimes you just have to put yourself in the right place at the right time. Um, If you have the space and the ability to sort of be a bit selective and you have a past career, yeah, if if they pay attention to that and they're they're interested in it, that's great. If they are... The way they communicate with you just in terms of emailing, if they're quite prompt and sort of interested, fantastic. I found that was quite a good marker um, people that were really late or sent messages incredibly late at night, I thought, oh, what's that working culture like that you're emailing me at 11pm on a Friday? Do I want to be a part mm. of that, ideally? Probably not. Um, but, yeah. And also just, if it feels like they're on your side and they want you to get the job, I think. I think all of the jobs that I was really excited by, they just seemed to have a lot of time for me and they'd read my CV and they'd remembered bits of it and they'd gone to the effort. And that's quite hard. And it's not, it's not a catch-all because sometimes companies simply move too fast to do that. But I think the ones that took the time to learn a bit about me and remembered stuff and asked me about things on my GitHub and clearly looked me up, it was, it was a great sign. Mm, that's, that's some good, really good advice there. Uh, well, on, on, on the topic of applications, um, one question, one, another question I'd have is kind of the, the flip side of the red flag, green flag, like, signs from employers is did you pick up any tricks to speed your way through the process to get you to the top of the pile did you have have it like i don't want to say life hacks or whatever whatever the expression is but were there any did you get good advice did you have an i an idea of what was working in the applications and and maybe things that perhaps weren't working okay so i've missed there are obvious ones so build as much javascript as you can if you're looking to get a job uh, <laughs> and use it as much as you can and have it on your GitHub and so that people can see it. Um, that helped me quite a bit. Uh, there's a really silly thing that I realized and I wouldn't necessarily recommend it to everybody. So I, on a rainy afternoon, made a theremin um, web like browser, with um, in-browser theremin and it had Phil Mitchell's face on it from EastEnders. I just thought it was funny. And um, <laughs> so... <laughs> A couple of people told me after they'd offered me jobs that that was one of the things that helped me stand out from the pile. <laughs> um, certainly stands out. Certainly stands yeah. out. <laughs> I'm not saying don't do the to-do app. I'm not saying that. But I, if you can put some personality of some kind, of some kind, um, into your into your work, 
that's a really nice way to put yourself across um, in an interview, if you can make that visible somehow to the per- person that's interviewing you. Um, so, yeah, I, I think a lot of the time after they've sort of assessed your technical skills, I just want to know if, you, if, if you're at the beginning of your career, the people are sort of ripe for taking a chance on you if you're, you've got a bit of personality and you seem like you care. And that sort of worked for me a few times. Um, so I was a really, really nervous programmer and I still am and I suffer quite a lot from just performance anxiety. But I think the thing that got the jobs were sort of a sense of curiosity. And that's something that you read quite a lot as a junior. They love curiosity. Um, but it's the truth, I think. Um, and that really helps. So like being interested and curious and asking questions and sort of showing like with the Phil Mitchell theremin, like, you know, it's not amazing. It won't get me a job at CERN, but it sort of shows that I've taken um, programming into my leisure time and made something fun with it because I'm interested. And that pushes you over the line, I think. Yeah, definitely. Show, showing off that there is something you're interested in other than, well, maybe you are interested in it just for the money, but at least spending a bit of extra time, like putting, putting, you're just showing people in companies that you're, you're willing to put that effort in to get good. And like, it's, I, I've learned this over the last nine months or whatever at my job that it's, it's easy. It's fairly easy to teach the skills that are needed on the job, but it's not so easy to teach that the, the, wanting to learn about it and the the motivation to to do that learning on the job that those skills can come easy more much more easily if you're hiring someone that is good at learning and and can pick that stuff up other than than someone that might be already good at that stuff but maybe isn't that particularly that interested or is someone that is hard to get on with yeah yeah definitely no i think um that's, that's the saving grace so like as much as this was an economic move and it was an investment of money um, I love the the work. Um, it's enormously stimulating to me, and I love learning. And I think that yeah, I think I think that's something you either have or you don't when it comes to programming. I think you either sort of care about it, and you sort of can't bear being told no by the terminal. And there's just a little bit of you that wants to just carry on <laughs> and sort of say, but why? And I think if you have that, then you could probably make quite a good um, go of the career. But I think if your instinct is to go, oh sod it, then I'm going away all the time without any let up or curiosity i think that's quite telling <laughs> yeah and I, I bet that definitely showed from from doing even doing from doing that boot camp it sounds like you you turned off on that day one and you said what have i got myself into but then you you carried on going you didn't you may have been you may have, there may have been tears but you 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 kept persisting and and got through to the end of it yeah yeah definitely i was really proud of myself actually at the end of it and that's not something yeah, that I experience should. very often because I'm not like, yeah, pat on the back for me. <laughs> but I did feel quite good about it because, um, by me, like moving country, that, that's baked into the formula of quite a lot of boot camps as well, especially if you live in somewhere like London. You sort of have to leave unless you're a millionaire. That was a question I was going to ask was why did you decide, what, what drew you to going to Berlin over doing one in, staying in England? Was there something else drawing you to Berlin that, that made you move or was that part of the, the boot camp sale? Um, so for me, it was like I could live really cheaply there um, mm-hmm. for the time that I was there. I ended up staying there actually for 14 months um, in total because everyone's talking about Berlin, the tech capital of you know Western Europe and stuff like that. So I sort of went along and it, there's plenty of tech jobs there. Like if you're sort of silent in a bar for four minutes, you'll hear the word JavaScript across the room or like there'll be like skittering like cockroaches, <laughs> like developers everywhere. Um, so the, the, the hype is true. It is, it is a tech hub then in Berlin. It definitely, definitely, definitely is. 
I can peel a developer off the walls at Tegel Airport. Like, it's, just, <laughs> it's full of us. Um, and, and that was a great place to be for me. So there were meetups happening left, right and centre. Um, there were so many options um, for independent learning. Um, I went to Mozilla's offices quite a lot to sort of do rust hack nights and be confused but entertained. Um, and yeah, there's a really, really thriving community there. So that was not, not, I didn't make the decision to go to Berlin on that particular basis, but when I got there, it was a very nice surprise. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I'd have the courage to uh, move country and, <laughs> and to, to do a boot camp or anything like that. So yeah, very impressive. <laughs> oh, no, thanks. I just, um, I never thought I'd live abroad. So I sort of took a chance when um, it came along. And, you know, Brexit was hanging in the air at the time. So it sort of felt like a last chance. It's like... Mm -hmm. Uh, potentially dangerous question but have you had an aha moment have you got it as they would say in the uh, on the boot camp Uh, any point since then or is it just the same sort of struggling along like the rest of us (laughs) have no you know what so like there's not i think i think the thing that i took such umbrage with is that there would be a singular aha moment but there are lots of little aha moments punctuated with larger aha moments punctuated with lots of stress and that's the reality. And, I, and I'm fine with that. <laughs> but there wasn't a the moment where I could be, when I sort of ripped my shirt off to, you know, expose my sort of like muscly body and went, I can code on top of a mountain. Like it was just like me being confused at 4am at my computer going, Aah! and, you know, and then, and, then, and then the next day when I tried the problem again in a different way, I'd know what to do because I'd already went, went through the pain. Um, and yeah, so it's just like lots of little, little aha moments. But whenever some, some, something happens, that I'm expecting to happen or wanting to happen is incredible to me. It still feels like magic to me. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like I had to build a search for a, jo- a job um, application, a headline search for articles. And when I got that working, I was like, oh, look at me. Oh, and I'm using their like, you know, front end components. <laughs> oh, look at me. I just, it felt so good. <laughs> That's the thrill, <laughs> the thrill that. of the job. It's, uh, exactly. Yeah. But I never, in my past job, yeah. I was never like, oh, look at me writing this email. Oh, yeah. Oh, look at that report. <laughs> <laughs> There's an element of magic that is really stimulating and it keeps me coming back. Yeah, I get very excited over very small things that I've done. I go, oh, look at this little button here. Or look at, look at when you click this, this thing moves. Isn't it amazing? And then people just look at me and go, really? It doesn't change. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't change. That continues. That's, my, my career is just full of those little moments, and I love it. Yeah, I enjoy the moments personally, but I don't think anyone else is particularly as impressed as I am with myself sometimes. Yeah, I feel like my dad with like a new hammer. It's like, oh, my God, look at this. It's like, oh, God. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but now that's me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no no one in my family's uh not well apart from tom luckily i can i can show t- i can show tom stuff and he, he's vaguely impressed but. why do you why do you think we started a podcast about it <laughs> no one no one else will put up with us talking about it no one else will listen <laughs> i can relate to this we found we found our people on the internet exactly all the good stuff yeah. is. oh that's all fantastic really fantastic stuff uh Kirsty, thank you very much. Um, just as our final question of the show, as we begin to wrap things up now, um, we were just wondering if you had three tips for people uh, changing career or any advice for anything to do with that. I think they would be, the first one is to get yourself on Twitter and start talking to other developers. Um, for lots of reasons, just like the sense of community is great. You'll learn plenty of things. Um, you'll probably see quite a lot of pointless fights about frameworks, but... 
<laughs> you'll have to learn to live with that, I think, if you're going to start a career in tech. Um, but they're, they're fantastic people. So when I was um, made redundant, it was a big surprise. And I went onto Twitter afterwards and said what had happened and said I was looking for work. And it ended up getting like a thousand retweets. Um, it got me the job that I've got now. Um, my now boss DM me and said, we're looking for a person. Um, the community is really, really good. Um, it has its downsides, as is lots of things on Twitter. <laughs> They're full of really generous people that are willing to give their time. Um, and I think if you're from any sort of minority group whatsoever in tech, get on there double quick because you'll find a community that you might not have at work um, unless you're very lucky. Um, yeah. Have you just a button there? Have you got any maybe if someone's new to Twitter, perhaps is there anyone anyone you would suggest they follow or any hashtags that they could explore? The person that I love the most on Tech Twitter would hate me for saying that they're on Tech Twitter. <laughs> um, the person that I love, is, um, her name is Charlie, and she's my friend, and she's at Sonny's Edge. So S-O-N-N-I-E-S, Edge. Um, she was a developer at the BBC previously and is now at um, Springer Nature. She's like a front-end wizard and sort of ally ex expert and has written um, really interesting things on her blog to do with progressive enhancement, which is a word, a term that I wasn't familiar with at the time. Um, coming to Ally through her is a pretty big blessing, and that's what happened to me. So it's been something that I've been trying to learn cool. about. Um, and also Kate Beard. I think it's um, SB in London. Um, previously at the Financial Times, now at Open Collective, a good friend and like really, really generous, like a poly by code of extraordinaire, um, incredibly funny and just like makes you feel good about the world. So those two. Cool. Thanks. Sorry, I think you were going on to tip number two. <laughs> I interrupted rudely. <laughs> yeah, tip number two, I think, would be just to do, don't put yourself under the pressure of having a monolithic side project that you maintain and then tweet about at great length because it makes everyone nervous, first of all. Um, but it will make you nervous too. Um, it's not everyone has a side project. Um, it shouldn't be a requirement. You are allowed to have evenings and weekends off. It's okay to have little scratches of this and that, completed tutorials or not on your GitHub. Um, let yourself do things in a small way um, quickly. Mm -hmm. um, let yourself play around. As you know, you're not always going to finish a, a painting as an artist, and you don't always finish a program as a developer, and that's fine. Um, and tip number three is to never ever buy a full price course on Udemy. Because <laughs> I did that once. <laughs> and I thought that everyone else was doing that. And then I logged on one day and it was a tenant, oh, and I was terrified yeah. and sad. So don't oh. do that. <laughs> they have regular sales. Just calm down. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> that's a fantastic piece of advice yeah. <laughs> oh well brilliant thank you very much for those there's some um some really interesting advice there as well as all the other stuff we've chatted about uh this week uh, so thank you very much for, for coming on thank you thank you both so much no, it's been really good having you it's been a really good really fun chat yeah i think so too we could well, thank you, listener, for listening to this week's episode of A Question of Code. Um, make sure you check us out on Twitter at AQO Code. And you can find us online at aqoc.dev or questionofcode.com, where you can find all the information you need to get in touch with us to uh, suggest questions for future episodes. Yeah, and if people wanted to get in touch with you, Kirsty, what would be the best way for them to do that? Um, my Twitter handle is Torah Wilcox, in homage to the great Toya Wilcox 
from a Jewish perspective. <laughs> um, it's T-O-R-A-H-W-I-L-C-O-X. That's me. Fantastic. Thanks again. Uh, make sure you're subscribing to the podcast um, and telling all your friends and spreading the news around um, that we're really here to help people. So um, the more people we can get to, the more people we can hopefully help um, with cheaper Udacity courses. So that's good. Uh, <laughs> um, thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.